Amen. Good morning, Maple Grove. Good morning. All right, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Hey, for you at home who are watching only on a 55-inch TV, I want you to upgrade that to an 85-inch TV so that I can fill your entire wall, all right? Because there's nothing better in the morning than seeing a close-up of this amazing-looking specimen of masculinity. <laughs> hey, why are you all laughing? That's just not kind. All right. Hey, before I jump into a couple of passages I want to read, I, I just want to, you know, brag on the church. I mean, we bring in donations for food all the time, but uh, you know, Laurie made me aware of a bus driver who was about to be evicted, and people had gathered money for their rent, a single mom with three children, and had her electric was going to be cut off. And I sent out an email and said, hey, if I get 10 people to give 25 bucks, we can take care of it. And just like that, boom. You know, we've done that with refrigerators over this uh, last few months, and it's so cool to send out an email and watch a church respond. So that's awesome, right? That's making a difference, right? I, I don't know about you. Turn your AC off this week and see if you'd be happy about that, right? I mean, so you guys are making a difference. Uh, now, the two passages I, I just want to start off with are, are ones that have been my favorite for years, and uh, especially during those times when I needed encouragement um, to hang in there and to, to not give up. Um, versus Galatians 6, 9, you probably know this. Uh, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Galatians 6, 9. Uh, repeat after me. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Okay, pray after me. I will not become weary in doing good. For the proper time, I will reap a harvest. If I don't give up. Galatians 6, 9. See, you memorized the verse already. Now, the next one is from 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And I, I remember when this verse was really pointing out to me. It's, I was living in Tampa, Florida at my first ministry. Um, we had an awesome brother there, but named Bro- we called him Brother Allen. Um, he was from um, St. Thomas, and I remember sitting in his kitchen. He has such a, an awesome and amazing accent, right? His wife cooks some pretty incredible snacks for us, and, and I was discouraged, and, and he showed me this verse, you know, uh, uh, therefore, in view of the resurrection, and one day we'll have a new body, and everything's going to be worked out, and sin has been defeated, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that people are going to praise you, because you know, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Father God, we thank you that we can come into your presence. We thank you, Lord, that, that we will reap a harvest if you don't give up. We thank you, God, that our labor for you is never, ever, ever in vain. Now, if we're laboring for ourselves, then maybe it is in vain. But if our labor is for you, it's not in vain. And God, I, I just lift up anyone who is tired, discouraged. Things are not working out the way they would like them to. Maybe their job and a relationship and a ministry and life. How, oh God, that somehow you would speak to them this morning through your word. 
God, enable me to speak well for you and for your honor and your glory. Amen. A question, and I know the answer. (laughs) Have you ever felt like giving up? Have you ever felt like quitting? Have you ever felt like throwing up your hands and the boxing term, right, throwing in the towel and saying, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I quit. It's over. No more. I mean, like you're, you're working on a project. You're working on a relationship. You're working on a life. And you just about had about all that you can take. I mean, you're making little, if any, progress. You're spinning your wheels. You're not getting anywhere. You're tired. You're weary. You're worn out. And you're frustrated. And you're discouraged. I don't know about you, but I've been there and done that many times. And I have a closet full of T-shirts to prove it. And this morning, we are continuing in our message series, Such Things Were Written. Theme verse is Romans 15, verse 4, where Paul says, Such things were written in the Scriptures long ago. In other words, things were written in the Old Testament long ago to teach us. They give us hope and encouragement. We can use those things as we wait patiently for God's promises. And so far in the series, we found hope and encouragement, and we've been taught solid truths of God. As we look at such things as the story of, of Naomi and Ruth, who, who taught us that even when things at the six-foot level in their lives are not looking so good, as it turns out, God is still working, causing all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And last week, David showed us that if, if, our, if our confidence is anchored in the power and might of God, and if our focus is on God's honor and glory, that we'll be able to defeat any giant that is standing in the way of us becoming who God created us to be. Amen? So today we're going to be looking at yet another uh, person from the Old Testament. His name is Jeremiah. And as I like to say, Jeremiah the prophet, not the bullfrog. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. He was a good friend of mine. I never understood a single word he said, but I helped him drink his soda because he really has some mighty fine soda. Singing joy. Okay, sorry. That was for my wife. She loves when I do that. (laughs) Not. But we're like a Jeremiah. And he's a guy who did not give up. And, and, And Jeremiah is... Someone that I both looked up to and I felt a kindred spirit with for a long time. Like, I can't tell you how many times during the last 20 plus years when life was hard and tough and I felt like, why bother? What's the point? I might as well just tap out. I'm just done. I would grab a pen and a Bible and, when I, cra- and I would crack open some words written 2,500 years ago by Jeremiah. And God would use them to speak directly to my heart. Like, I, I remember in December of 1995, sitting on the rooftop of American Biologics in Tijuana, and when my wife, Judy, was getting alternative cancer treatments, and my wife was dying, my ministry was dying, and, and, and I was so discouraged and frustrated. And God spoke these words to Jeremiah. I remember the rooftop. And I remember I, that day I tried mangoes for the first time. I thought they were cantaloupe. When you think you're about to bite into cantaloupe and it's something different, it kind of freaks you out, right? I, 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 so vividly. But here's the words. 
This is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. There is hope for your future. This is the Lord's declaration. And I go, wow. And that's one of the first times I really remember where I read scripture. It's like, how crazy that the God of the universe knew exactly what I needed to hear at the right time. It's not a coincidence that I read that. It was God, the God of creation, the one and only God speaking directly to my heart. Now, my goal this morning, it's twofold. First, to lift up our God, because he's awesome and amazing. And the second is that that maybe a word, a thought, a phrase, something from Scripture will help someone in this room or someone listening online, whether you're in Virginia or somewhere else, who feels like giving up. Now, before I talk about Jeremiah, I think it'd be good for us to, you know, do a little bit of a background story so that we all come to this story of Jeremiah from the same historical context. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham to leave everything, leave his family, leave his country. He's 75 years old, and Abraham does that, and he becomes the father of many nations, right? He has a, Abraham has a son named Isaac, who has a son named Jacob. You're doing very well, all right? And, and they lived in tents for a couple hundred years, and, and during the time of, of Jacob, there became a severe famine in the land, and, and God's people had to leave and go to Egypt, which was a pretty good place to go because God had providentially set Joseph up as second in command of all of Egypt. And so they're in Egypt, and they're doing pretty good for a while. But eventually, a pharaoh comes to power that does not know who Joseph was, and Israel becomes slaves, and they're slaves for about 400 years until Moses comes in, and through the power of God, delivers the people from slavery. After that, Israel leaves Egypt, and, and, and they cross over the parted seas of the, of the Red Sea, and they, they camp on the east side of the Jordan River, and God wants them to go in and take the promised land. But there's a glitch to this plan. You see, the people who live there, they're huge. Their cities are well fortified, and they're very well trained in war. And the bottom line is, you know, God's people, they, they, they chickened out, Right? They allow, like we do at times, they allow the fear of the obstacle in front of them to overtake the faith of God in them. And what they actually say in Numbers 13, people are huge and we seem like grasshoppers, not in their eyes, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We give in the fear, right, and don't hold on to faith. Everything seems so huge in our own eyes. We seem like grasshoppers. We're not grasshoppers, but we seem that way. And because of that, they're forced to wander for 40 years. And 40 years later, they, or rather their children, are about to enter the promised land. And Moses is giving them his farewell speech. Some of the final words he'll say to them, because he's not allowed to go into the promised land. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now listen. I mean, picture this, right? I mean, they know Moses can't go in, right? He's been their leader for 40 years. And, 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 and these are his final words. So, you know, they're, they're tuning in. And I can see the passion, man, because he wants to go and he can't go. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between prosperity and disaster, between life and death. I've commanded you today to love the Lord your God and do his commands, laws, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you'll live and become a great nation And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are about to enter and occupy. But 
If your hearts turn away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you'll certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you're crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today I give you the choice between life and death, between blessings and cursings. I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life. That you and your descendants might live. Oh, that you would choose to love the Lord your God and to obey him and commit yourself to him. For he is your life. Then you live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And after this, Joshua takes the baton of faith. And in 27 years, they, they cross over. In 27 years, they conquer the promised land. And now God's people are finally living the land promised to Abraham 600 years earlier. Eventually, they get a king. The first king is Saul. Saul starts out good, ends out bad. Second king is David. Uh, David ruled for 40 years. When he dies, his son Solomon takes over. For David was a man of war. Solomon builds the temple. When Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam takes over. And this is when things begin to go downhill. You see, right after Rehoboam became king, the people from the north came down and said, like, yo, bro, your dad's taxes are killing us. We need a tax break. And, and Rehoboam says, okay. And he, he consults with older leaders, wiser leaders, said, yeah, that's a good idea. He consults with his friends. His friends say, you know what? Nah, not a good idea. I'd raise their taxes if I were you. And he says, hey, stop your whining. I'm going to raise your taxes. If you thought my dad was tough, Watch out. Look what's coming. Well, this makes them angry. They decide to form their own nation, and a civil war starts, and we have brother fighting brother, which is never a good thing. And since God's people in the north, they didn't have a temple, they decide, hey, we're going to start our own religion. We're going to build our own temple, our own altars. After a period of time, God removes his protection from them, allowing the Assyrian Empire to come in in 722 B.C. and completely destroy the northern kingdom. They try to take the southern kingdom. And in fact, they surround it. One of the leaders says that he has Hezekiah, you know, surrounded and locked up like a bird in a cage. His name was Sennacherib. And, and, and fortunately, God, because a faithful man Hezekiah prayed, sent an angel who destroyed the Assyrian Empire. So, so the northern kingdom is gone. And unfortunately, her sister kingdom in the south chose to walk the same path and serve other gods. And see, it was during this time that when people were turning away from God, where they were worshiping other gods and idols, living any way they wanted to, living totally against God, that Jeremiah had his ministry. And by the way, his dad was a priest, so he was a PK, and he was raised about three miles north of Jerusalem. It was a tough ministry. And Jeremiah had many reasons for wanting to quit and to give up, to throw in the towel. And I want to share a few of them. One of the, one of the reasons uh, he had for wanting to quit were, were the people. People. Question. Have people ever made you want to give up? People. People. You ever said, life would be so much better if it wasn't for people? I even said that as a pastor. I love church except for people. Right? Which, I mean, but 
Have they ever made you want to give up because of what they do, what they don't do, what they say, what they don't say, how they treat you, their lack of care or concern? Have people ever made you want to give up? Now, you would have hoped that the, north, the southern kingdom would have watched what happened to the northern kingdom, and they would have learned a lesson, but they didn't. Jeremiah writes this in Jeremiah 3, beginning at verse 8. Her sister, the kingdom of Judah, saw what happened, but she wasn't worried in the least, and I watched her become unfaithful like her sister. The kingdom of Judah wasn't sorry for being a prostitute, and she didn't care that she had made both herself and the land unclean by worshiping idols of stone and wood. And worst of all, the people of Judah pretended to come back to me. Even the people of Israel in the north were honest enough not to pretend. Didn't learn a thing. They were worshiping idols everywhere, on every hill, even sacrificing their children to flame. And, and this really struck me when I read it. And worst of all, the people of Judah pretended to come back to me. Like they came to the services. They sang the songs, they lifted their hands, they served in the nursery, they even filled out Jeremiah's sermon's notes. (laughs) They worshiped God with their lips, but their hearts were far from God. Jeremiah says this about them in Jeremiah 7. Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, and worship Baal? And all those other new gods of yours? And then come here and stand before me in my temple? And chant, we're safe? Only to go right back and do those same things again? And then you may remember here in this verse in New Testament. Do you think this temple which honors my name is a den of thieves? I see all the evil that's going on there, says the Lord. Remember Jesus said that, right? What does he mean by a den of thieves? Well, a den of thieves is where thieves hang out, right? And thieves feel safe to be thieves in their den, right? Hey, I, I can be any way I want in my den. I can be who I really am. And he says, really? Did you go out and live against me? Live contrary to me? And you're going to come into my house and think you're safe and think it's okay and think it doesn't bother me? We saw how much it bothered Jesus, right? And people made... Jeremiah, I want to give up. Again, have people ever made you want to give up? Or are they making you want to give up? Like, I mean, why, why try? Why care? Why work? If they're not. And to be honest, uh, more times than I can count, as a pastor for the last 28 years, 8 months, people have made me want to give up. You know, I cannot tell you how many times I've had the towel in my hand. They just say, I'm done. I'm done. But hey, I'm still standing here. Another reason Jeremiah had for wanting to quit was the ministry that God had called him to. Like I said, he had a tough ministry to preach a, a difficult message that nobody wanted to hear. And what was the message? Hey, God is angry at the nation, and he's about to unleash his punishment on you. And nothing can be done to stop it. Check out these words from Jeremiah. Oh, this is from 2 Chronicles 36. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them. 
for he had compassion on his people and his temple. But the people mocked these messengers and despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger, this is, this is scary, could no longer be restrained. And nothing could be done. God's anger had reached its limit. It could not be restrained. It could not be pulled back. Nothing could be done about it. So the Lord brought the king of Babylon against them. Their only hope, Jeremiah said, your only hope is to surrender to Babylon. And then things would go reasonably well. But they refused to surrender Things would be terrible. The city and temple would be leveled and tens of thousands of people would die from the sword and from famine. You see, Jeremiah preached a 40-year sermon series called Captivity and Death. Join us next week for our next sermon on captivity and death. So much fun. And you might guess this message is warm out. Listen to these words from Jeremiah 23, verse 9. My heart is broken. And I tremble uncontrollably. I stagger like a drunkard, like someone overcome by wine because of the holy words the Lord has spoken against them. He says, man, these words are just, they're killing me. They're wearing me out. I I, I can barely stand. It was a tough ministry. It was a tough task. It was a tough road that God had called him to walk down. Being the prophet of doom and gloom, of death and destruction, was enough to make Jeremiah want to give up. Question has a task, has the ministry, has the road that God has called you to walk down ever made you feel like giving up? Do not become weary in doing good. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Next comes rejection and futility. Two of my favorite things. I don't know about you. Hey, give me, I like that rejection and futility supersize, please, right? I mean, he preached his heart out for 40 plus years and no one listened. He made no impact. No one cared. He changed no lives. Like it all seemed to be so futile. What's the point? Ever felt that way? Check out this passage. Jeremiah 6, 16 and 17. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is because you forgot it. You don't know where the good way is anymore. You're living any way you want. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. We will not listen. And because of that refusal, they would never find rest for their souls. And how unnecessary right? I mean, all they had to do was to look and to ask where the good way is and walk in it. And not only did the people reject the message, they, they rejected him. Raise your hand if you find being rejected by people fun and pleasant. Anyone? <laughs> Sometimes to me it's according to the person, maybe. Sometimes I find some people's rejection as a compliment. Maybe that's me. You know what? God also rejected his prayer sometimes. See, he loved them. <laughs> I, I, I admire him. <laughs> and he prayed for his people. More than once, God said this Jeremiah eleven fourteen. 14. Pray no more for these people. Jeremiah, do not weep or pray for them. 
for I will not listen to them when they cry out to me in distress. Rejection, futility, it's not to make anyone want to quit. But do not become weary in doing good. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. And then there was the loneliness. If ever, if ever a, a preacher needed a preacher's wife, it was Jeremiah. But God commanded him in Jeremiah 16 too, not to marry. You see, his lifestyle needed to match the message and it would be inconsistent for him to marry and have a family while announcing that Jerusalem would be destroyed by the Babylonians. And for that very same reason, he was not allowed to go to weddings or parties or any social gatherings to celebrate because there was nothing to celebrate. Get the picture? For 40 plus years, this guy is all alone preaching a message that nobody wanted to hear the people who will not listen, who rejected him. The question is, has feeling alone, has feeling like you're the only one who really cares, like you're the only one who's really trying ever made you want to give up? Do not become weary in doing good. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. If that wasn't bad enough, Let's toss in some hardships into this boiling pot of discouragement, right? A man from his own town plotted against him. He was put on trial for his life. The first draft of God's word, he kind of did like those people in Brooklyn are doing right now, burning God's word. They can burn his word all he's want. God's word, you can't stop God's word. Go ahead and try to do it, people in Portland. God's word endures forever. You can't stop it. People have tried. Go ahead and try it. God's word endures. Amen. Ticks me off, but doesn't take God off. God says, you can't stop my word. But the king, this first draft of God's word, the king burned it because he didn't like what it said. He was flogged and whipped and beaten and put in stocks so people could walk by and make fun of him. He was arrested. While in prison, they dragged him out of prison and they threw him into this well in the prison yard that had no water but had thick mud and he sucked down like to his waist in the mud. I don't know about you, but I think Jeremiah had a lot of reasons for wanting to give up. In fact, there's some of the same reasons that cause you and I to want to give up. People. The tough task or ministry, a road we're called to walk on. Futility, rejection, loneliness, hardship. And I don't know, you know, maybe in this room and maybe they're listening online, you know, some of those things are you right now. Do you know what his biblical nickname is? Not, not biblical, but scholars give him, right? It's not in the Bible. He's known as what kind of? The weeping prophet. Check out what he wrote in Jeremiah 9.1. Oh, that my head were a spring of water, my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night. He had many reasons for wanting to quit. And you know what? Sometimes he wanted to. I mean, not all the time, but... But he had his moments, <clears throat> moments when he cried out to God in great frustration and said, God, I can't take it anymore. I'm done. You ever had any of those moments? Check out basically Jeremiah's journal. Jeremiah 15. Lord, you know what's happening to me. 
please step in and help me. Please give me time. Don't let me die young. It's for your sake that I'm suffering. When I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord, of God of heaven's armies. I never joined the people in their merry feasts. I sat alone because your hand was on me. I was filled with indignation at their sins. Why then does my suffering continue? Why is my wound so incurable? Your help seems as uncertain as a seasonal brook like a spring that has gone dry. Man, can you, can you feel his pain in those words? You know what I, I love about Jeremiah is that he's real and he's raw, right? He doesn't come to God pretending, oh God, it's so great to be in your presence. You're a great and mighty God. And there's no one like you. It's, it's a great pleasure to be one of your children. No, he's like, God, you led me on this road. You, you called me to do this. And I'm always alone, and it seems so hard. And it seems like you're never there for me. It seems like I can never count on you. You're like a seasonable brook that is run dry. Now, that wasn't true. That's how I felt. Here's one more I feel like giving up moment from chapter 20. I curse the day I was born. May no one celebrate the day of my birth. He goes even further. I curse the messenger who told my father, good news, you have a son. Let him be destroyed (laughs) like the cities of old that the Lord overthrew without mercy. Terrify him all day long with battle shouts because he did not kill me at birth. Wow. (laughs) Okay, Jeremiah. Oh, that I died in my mother's womb, that her body had been my grave. Why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. Now, those are not words of a a man ready to charge the front lines or to take a beachhead. They're they're words of a man who's ready to cast in his chip, throw in the towel, and to go home. Rejection, hostility, pain, suffering, futility, loneliness. And a popular message for 40-plus years. Jeremiah had many reasons to give up, and yet he hangs in there all those years. He had his moments, like we all do, but he left standing. Amen? Yeah. And, and so I always, I've asked myself, like, how, how did he do it? How did he hang in there? What kept him from not giving up? And, and I, I I think I discovered at least three of the reasons that kept them in the game. And there are the same three reasons or keys that will keep us in the game when we feel like we want to give up. Three reasons that will help us not to become weary in doing good. Three reasons that will help us to stand firm and let nothing move us. Number one, Jeremiah had a purpose to live for. I like what Rick Warren writes in his book, Purpose Driven Life. Nothing matters more than knowing God's purpose for your life. And nothing can compensate for not knowing them. Not success, wealth, fame, or pleasure. Without purpose, life is motion, without meaning, activity, without direction, and advance, without reason. Without a purpose, life is trivial, petty, and pointless. Then he says this, when life has meaning, you can bear almost anything. Amen? Without meaning, nothing. 
is bearable. Let me tell you, Jeremiah's life had meaning, it had purpose. And we see it in the very first chapter of his book, Jeremiah 1, verses 4 and following. The Lord gave me a message. He said, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my spokesman to the world. And by the way, in the womb, guess what he was? Jeremiah in the womb was not a choice. Jeremiah was a baby, right? Amen? Amen. That may not be popular in our world today, but it's not a choice. It is a child. It is a baby knit by the hands of Almighty God. And if there are scriptures out there, someone can show me that says it's a choice, not a baby, I would love to see them and and submit myself to the authority of the Word of God. Steve at thegroveseville.org. Sorry. No, I'm not sorry. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. Don't say that, the Lord replied, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. Don't say that, Jeremiah. I'm the one who created you. I know who you are. I know what you're supposed to do. So don't say I can't. You know, and I wonder if God would say that to some of us in this room, right? Who, when we're looking at what God has called us to do, we say we can't. I can't because, and God says, don't say that. Don't tell me what you can't do. Don't tell me who you are. Don't tell me what is not possible for you. Don't say that. I made you. I know you. I have a purpose for you. Don't say that. He knew his purpose. It was to speak God's word. And his purpose helped him to hang in there. Jeremiah 20, 7 through 9. I love this. I'm always talking about the message I received from the Lord. But this only brings me insults. The people make fun of me all day long. Sometimes I say to myself, I'll forget the Lord. I'll not speak anymore in his name. This, I love this. But then his message becomes like a burning fire inside of me, deep within my bones. I get tired of holding it in, and finally, I cannot hold it in. See, knowing he had a purpose in life, burned like a fire inside Jeremiah, and it powered him to keep going when he felt like giving up. Next, Jeremiah, had a, he had a hope. He had a hope to anchor to. And one of my favorite illustrations about a hope to anchor to is about an experiment that was done years ago with laboratory rats. And they had two sets of laboratory rats, and they both were in a, in a tank of water. And the rats over here were just swimming along, and in an hour they drowned. The rats over here in this tank, every now and then someone would pick those rats up and then put them back in. And the rats over here wound up swimming for over 24 hours shredding water. You know, whatever they're doing. And, and it wasn't because they got the rest. It's because they're saying, hey, if I can just stay afloat a little bit longer, someone's going to reach in and pull me up. And see, Jeremiah had hope. Because like, those little just keep swimming rodents. He was confident. If I can just stay afloat, if I can just hang on, my God's going to reach down and pull me up out of this situation and rescue me. 
And not only did Jeremiah speak the following words, Jeremiah believed them. And it gave him, even in the face of rejection, futility, hardships, people, an unsinkable hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. See, Jeremiah knew that wars and famine and disease and death were not God's ultimate plan for his people. God's plan was, even in the midst of their sin and rebellion, to prosper them, to give them hope. And check out this verse, just two verses down. And I know this gave Jeremiah hope. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you. I will bring you back. I I will gather you from. You You see, and this is so important. God does not punish us or allow bad things to happen to us in order to pay us back, but rather to bring us back, right? Not to pay us back, but to bring us back. You see, God's passion and his desire and his goal for us has been unchanged since man fell in the garden. And that's to do whatever he has to do in order to bring us back to himself. Amen? Because Jeremiah had this hope. A hope anchored in the plans and purposes of God. Jeremiah knew that God's desire was not to pay the people back, but to bring the people back. And it's what enabled him to write these words and lamentations as he looked in the rearview mirror at Jerusalem and the temple in rubbles burning. That's what he's looking at as he writes this in Lamentations. The thought of my suffering, Lamentations 3, verse 19 through 26. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. It's hard. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, yet, yet. I love this guy. Yet I dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Amen. Next, Jeremiah had a mighty God to trust in. O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and earth by your great power. Nothing is too hard for you. O great and powerful God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. You perform miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this day, both in Israel and among all mankind. And have gained the renown that is still yours. God, everything you wanted to do, you did. You make the heavens and you make the earth. And everything you said that would happen, has happened, or will happen, nothing is too hard for you. Therefore, I put my trust completely in you because you, God, are completely trustworthy. Amen? Here's a great verse to highlight in your Bible. All these references are on your notes as well. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. 
This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They're like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited, salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a river banks with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. I understand it was a purpose to live for, a hope to anchor to, and a mighty God to trust in that enabled Jeremiah to keep going when he felt like giving up. And as Jesus followers, we have those exact same three things as well. We have a purpose to live for. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works with God's which God prepared in advance for us to do. Listen, I stand before you today, August the 2nd, 2020, and declare to you, based on the authority of the Word of God, that despite how you feel, that despite the rejection, despite the futility, despite the hardships, despite the rejection, that you have a purpose to live for. To know God, to bring God pleasure, to be a part of his family, to become like Christ and reflect his glory, to do the good things that God has uniquely shaped you to do, the good things he prepared in advance for you to do. And you have a purpose to help redirect the eternities of lost people and to bring people into a fullness of life. You have a purpose to live for So do not become weary in doing good. So stand firm and let nothing move you. And believe me when I tell you, things will try to move you. But stand firm in the Lord. And you have a hope to anchor to. Hebrews 6, 18 through 20. We run to God for safety. Now his promise should greatly encourage us to take hold of the hope that's right in front of us. This hope... Is like a firm and steady anchor for our souls. In fact, hope reaches beyond the curtain into the most holy place. Jesus has gone there ahead of us, and he is our high priest forever. I love it. It says Jesus has gone there ahead of us, which means what? We are going there too, right? He's gone there ahead of us. Listen, one day, one day, it could be today at 12 o'clock, Right? One day, somebody is going to crack the sky and reach down and lift you up. So just keep on swimming. Keep staying afloat. One day, the heavens will rip open. One day, Jesus will come back and the new Jerusalem, the new heavenly Jerusalem will come down from the sky, our future forever home. And one day, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. One day, we will live in a world with no pain or sorrow, sin or hatred. COVID-19 or or crazy violence. (laughs) And best of all, we'll see him. The one we love, sing to, pray to, we will see him face to face. The one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new, all things new. 
Then he said this to me. Write this down for it. I tell you it's trustworthy and true. And if it's trustworthy and true, we have a hope to grab onto, right? We, we, we know how this thing ends. It may be messy in the middle, but a billion years from now, I guarantee you, it's going to be so sweet. Yeah, I know it's hard. I know it seems futile at times. I know you're tired. I know that sometimes people are like a straw to a raisin, just sucking the life right out of you, right? You were this beautiful grape, and now you're a raisin. Or you, even worse, you were a plum, and now you're a prune. (laughs) And all you do is make people want to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Sorry. But keep going. Don't give up. Because in Christ you have an eternal purpose to live for. In Christ you have a, a hope, a living hope to anchor to. And you have a mighty God to trust in. Paul's in prison and he knows that any minute he'll be walked down a long dark corridor and his neck will meet the edge of a Roman axe. And he pens some final words to his good friend Timothy and to us. Let him know that he has no regrets. And he says this. I love it. 2 Timothy 1.12. I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. It's the same Paul who, who wrote these words in Ephesians now to him is able to do measure more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Now to him was able to do measurably more than all we ask. Are you asking? Are you imagining? According to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory. Is it for your glory or for his glory in the church of Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever? Amen. Brothers and sisters. Do not become weary in doing good. I know you're tired. But you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. At the proper time, you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up. Brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is never, ever, 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 no matter what it feels like, ever, ever, no matter what other people say, no matter if you don't get the results you want, no matter if no one shows up to your class, ever, ever, in vain. Because you have a purpose to live for. You have a hope to anchor to and a mighty God to trust in. And listen, these are the keys for you and I to keep going when we feel like giving up. And we must do all we can to keep this focus. And, and just one more verse for Jeremiah. We'll just close because here's what it comes down to. How, how do we get those three things and how do we maintain those three things, right? And here's where the rocket science comes in. Through deepening our relationship with Christ, 
And by seeking God, as Jeremiah says, we're to seek God. Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14. Here's what it says. It may answer some of your questions in this room or out there where you're wondering, hey, where is God? I'm looking for him. I'm not seeing him. Here's what God says. You will seek me and find me when I'm somewhere on your list of priorities. (laughs) No. You'll seek me and find me whenever you get around to it because I'm really not that important. You'll seek me and find me once you do all the stuff that you want to do. No, that's not what it says. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? 50% of your heart? 62.4%? All your heart. And see, there's something about who God is that you will only find God to the degree that he wants you to find him when you want God more than you want anything else. He's not playing hide and seek with you, but there's something about who he is that you have to want him more than you want anything else. And you'll find him when you say, God, I want you more than anything. I'm seeking you with all my heart. And that means there's nothing left for my heart to seek other than you. And when we do that, we'll have the focus that we need and we'll see that purpose that we have to live for that never goes away, that hope that is living in a mighty God that we can always trust in. Uh, we're going to sing a song, and, and, and uh, I really think Jeremiah would approve of this song. I, I really think if Jeremiah was here today, yeah, and, and he, he was a good singer like I am, yeah, he may grab his guitar, And he maybe would lead us in this because he knows, Jeremiah knows and God knows that there's people in this room, right? There's people listening online, right, that that are losing heart, are losing heart and just want to quit. And Jeremiah would want to tell you, you know, hey, take, take courage. Take courage, my heart. Father God, we love you. We praise you. And God, right now, I, I, I pray for those people, God, are just tired and worn out. They're tired of the futility. They're tired of being rejected. God, the task you called them to, they keep looking for fruit, and at times it seems like there's no fruit to be found. God, I pray for those who are, have people in their lives, God, that are just making it so hard. I pray for those who are undergoing hardships, God. It it seems like they overcome one crisis and another one comes their way. God, I just pray that as we sing this song that your spirit will renewing us the purpose and the hope that we have and help us to see this mighty God that watches over us. That we'll just keep on swimming and staying afloat a little longer knowing that you'll reach down and pull us out. In Jesus' name, amen.